You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. feel like who art Ed? I'm trying to spice it. Who art Ed? Mr. Wood, art Ed, me. Either way, it's ambiguous. It works on so many levels. I know. That's off to a great start. Welcome to Who Arted, where we explore visual arts in an audio medium. I'm your host, Kyle Wood. Now, today, today's episode is going to be a little bit different. Um, I have COVID, and it made it a little bit difficult for me to know when I would be up for recording an episode and to coordinate uh, bringing a guest on and stuff just didn't seem like it was going to work. So I figured as long as I am sick and miserable... This would be the perfect time to cover a rather miserable painting that no guest seems to want to cover, but it is on the AP art history list. So today, we're going to look at J.M.W. Turner's The Slave Ship. The original title was Slavers Throwing Overboard the Dead and Dying. Spoiler alert, this one's kind of a sad story. So if you're not up for a little bit of our darker history, maybe this episode's not going to be for you. But as always, if you want to see the image of the work I'm talking about, you can see it on the episode-specific cover art on Spotify, Good Pods, Amazon Music, or any other platform that supports that feature. Now, J.M.W. Turner was an English romantic artist. He was known as the painter of light, which I always find a little funny because light is how we see, so it seems like every painter is the painter of light. But he was born April 23rd, 1775, in Covent Garden in London. He attended the Royal Academy School in 1789, Growing up, his father was a barber, and it's said to have been selling his son's paintings to his customers. So J.M.W. Turner was basically always doing pretty well in the arts. Uh, He seemed to be one of those people who knew what he wanted to do from an early age and was excelling at it, um, taking sort of the straight path to success. There are J.M.W. Turner drawings dating back to 1787, two years before he entered the Academy, and they look reasonably polished and professional, which is pretty amazing when you consider he would have been about 12 at the time. 
I mean, I'm 38 and nobody has ever described my work as reasonably polished and professional. So 1794, he's working, he's doing engravings for a printer. He was also hired to make copies and sort of elaborate on some unfinished works by John Robert Cousins. Uh, He was a landscape painter, and recently after Cousins died in 1797, um, Turner was asked to sort of complete the works. Now, in terms of influences, Turner really liked the Dutch painters, but the influence of Cousins was pretty significant for his development. I mean, it feels like a sort of ultimate master study to be not only copying someone's works, but completing their works. I feel like going from recognizing and reproducing someone's works to figuring out what they would have done requires you to really understand their thought process and their style on another level. Some of the greatest experiences I did studying art were reproducing works by artists I admired, and I can say, as I was developing my style, I thought very deliberately about what one artist's work would look like applied in a different context, then took strategies from other artists and mashed them up. And that seems to be kind of the process that Turner's going through to some extent. Now, in 1799, he's just 24 years old, he's elected an associate of the Royal Academy. That was the youngest age that anyone could be permitted to be an associate of the Royal Academy. In 1882, he's going up through the ranks, becomes a full academician, and 1807, he is a professor. Basically, his skill and talent was clear, and he was rising through the ranks. Now, in terms of his personal life, in 1800, his mother was committed to a mental hospital, and his father came to live with him. His father served as his studio assistant and agent for the rest of his life. Turner was getting so many commissions, his career was pretty secure. In 1804, he actually opened his own gallery. Now, the slave ship painting was given as a gift to a critic, John Ruskin, in 1844. Ruskin and Turner met in 1840. Ruskin quickly became a fan, and he sort of championed Turner. Now, he wrote in praise of the slave ship painting, but also said it was too painful to live with and sent it to auction in 1869. So here's the story behind the slave ship painting. There's this British ship called the Zong. In 1781, the captain threw sick and dying enslaved people overboard. 142 people were killed. And he did that so he could collect insurance money for those, quote, lost at sea. This type of thing was shockingly common practice. But with this incident, the insurance companies refused to pay, leading to a trial that first sided with the ship owners, then an appeal found that the captain was at fault. The barbaric incident grabbed headlines as the legal battle dragged on and it fueled outrage among some portion of the population. There was an incredible episode of a fellow airwave media podcast, The Constant. I'll link that in my show notes. It covered the absolutely horrendous practices of people who would send ships out to sea to sink so they could collect insurance payouts. Now, in this painting, Turner is 
doing this very dramatic interpretation, envisioning what that scene would look like with the waves crashing and the sky almost melting into the water. I mean, you can barely see the horizon line. It's just this mess of turbulent brushwork. It really captures the mood and the feel of this horrific event. John Ruskin, the critic who was initially given the painting, wrote, If I were reduced to rest Turner's immortality upon a single work, I should choose this. I kind of say I think Ruskin is right on that. Uh, This is probably Turner's most significant work because it really captures the zeitgeist. That's the big fancy term we use for the spirit of the time. When we think about the middle of the 19th century, I mean, there was the abolition movement happening. People were kind of awakening to the absolute horrors and brutality that was being inflicted upon so many people. And Turner, like all great artists, is taking that in. He's seeing what is happening in his society around him. And he is capturing it, laying it out on the canvas for everybody to see, but also to feel. I mean, he was a romantic painter. He laid it out in the most dramatic way possible. And it worked. This piece resonated. It resonated in its own time, and it continues to draw people in today. It continues to get us thinking about the horrific incidents of the past, how far we've come, and maybe how far we still need to go. And I'm going to wrap this up using Turner's own words. When Turner exhibited the picture at the Royal Academy in 1840, he included this bit from an unfinished poem. Quote, Aloft all hands, strike the top masts and belay. Yon angry setting sun and fierce-edged clouds. Declare the Typhon's coming. Before it sweeps your decks, throw overboard the dead and dying. Ne'er heed their chains. Hope, hope, fallacious hope. Where is thy market now? This concludes this week's episode of Who Arted, part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. If you found this tolerable, please leave a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. You can find images of the work being discussed this week and every week on social media at Who Arted Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And of course, on the website, whoartedpodcast.com. Podcast done.